Crystal Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, actor Zasha Mamet. I am a big Zasha fan. She played Shoshana Shapiro in Girls, one of my favorite shows of all time, and I've enjoyed watching her on The Flight Attendant, a Netflix show in its second season. And Zasha just edited her first book, My First Popsicle, an anthology of food and feelings. Sasha and I will talk about the book, how she almost got into a fist fight with Axl Rose, and her favorite snacks to bring on an airplane. Literally the second my butt touches that seat, I am ravenous, no matter how much I have eaten prior to getting on that airplane. It's like an extra carry-on just for snacks. <laughs> if you can relate, that is because there is science to back up why we can't stop snacking on airplanes. We'll get to that later in the episode. Also coming up, the history of two very divisive holiday dishes, sweet potato marshmallow casserole and canned cranberry sauce. Pretty much everything that we eat on the Thanksgiving table was a marketing ploy. But first, my conversation with Sasha Mamet. Let me check your level real fast. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had what I have almost every morning. I had Cheerios with a banana, honey nut Cheerios specifically. Are you a creature of habit with eating in general? Oh, yeah. Big time. I don't know. I find things that I love and like I just I don't get sick of them. I'm not an unadventurous eater. When I like something, I would just keep eating it. If it weren't for my husband, I'd probably eat the same thing every night. (laughs) I think it's a safe route because I'm the opposite as you and I get burned because I'll go to a restaurant and I know what is good. And I'm like, you know what? I got to get something different. And then I wish that I got the thing that I knew was good. Totally. So a thousand percent. There's one restaurant near my buddy Kaylee's place in LA for like the seven months that I lived in Los Angeles. I've eaten one salad. (laughs) I get their baked potato. I don't know what they do to this baked potato. It's the best baked potato I've ever had in my life. And I get this epic salad and a baked potato. It's one of those restaurants where the menu is like four pages long and the pages are like the size of me. Yeah. I'll never know about these other dishes. <laughs> okay, tell me about the epic baked potato because I feel like it's an unsung food and I freaking love a baked potato. It is an unsung food. So here's the thing about this baked potato. It's a delicacy. Um, <laughs> I think it has something to do probably with they salt the skin and probably yeah. like rub it with olive oil. And mm. then I don't know, they do something magic in their oven, but it comes out salty and kind of like perfectly soft on the inside, but not too mushy and then crisp on the outside. Mm. I smother it in ketchup and it oh makes me so happy. Okay. If you're ever in Seattle, which is where I live, you have okay. to go to this place called the Wedgwood Broiler. You walk in and it's like you've walked back four decades. The waitresses are like 7,000 years old. They wear like support hose up to their knees. <laughs> and there's couples that are like not talking, just not looking at each other, eating liver and onions. But the thing yeah. that is so great about it is number one, their baked potato and number two, their salad. The signature salad is like a little side salad and they put Cheez-Its on it and chopped up salami. And that is why we go. Wow. I've never, you know... I've put a lot of things on a salad. Mm-hmm. I've never put a cheese in on a salad. I hadn't either. <laughs> that is, my mind is a little bit blown right now. Yeah. And I'm going to, I want to take some time to process that. And the potato too. I always say it looks like it has rabies because it's foaming with butter. It's just so foamy. <laughs> so good. <laughs> 
Let's talk about your book, which I've been reading in a hammock in the park. It's like the perfect book to read in the sunshine. Um, Tell me where the idea came from. Why a food book? My memory of when the idea was like officially born was we went to dinner with some friends of ours. They were late because they were having this experience with their toddler and they showed up and they were like, we just gave our son a popsicle for the first time and we took a video of it. We have to show you. And this kid's experience of eating a popsicle for the first time was so, it was like a Netflix special. Like (laughs) just, he experienced every emotion you could think of in the two and a half minutes that this little video was. It was a really interesting reminder because as we get older, I feel like we forget about what it's like to experience things for the first time, especially when it comes to food, unless you're like, you know, eating sheep's brain or something. It just sort of got the wheels turning in my noggin, which don't turn very often, but when they do, you know, I started thinking about what a universal topic food is. I write in the book, it's this thing that's so essential to our survival. And it's also this thing that brings people so much joy. And it's so intrinsically linked with family and tradition and memory. And we all have these sort of like wonderful memories about food, horrible memories about food. And I was like, you know, I want to hear people's stories about this. So maybe other people do too. The book features food-related essays from folks like Katie Holmes, Ted Danson, and Rosie Perez. Sasha's co-star on The Flight Attendant, Kaylee Cuoco, shares a recipe for the Carl Fashioned, the perfect old-fashioned named after an ex-boyfriend. And Tony Hale of Arrested Development fame writes the teeniest, tiniest story about his big love of chain restaurants. David Sedaris very graciously wrote an essay for this book, which he said, yes, we'd been pen pals a bit for a while before I asked him to write for this book. And the first letter I got from him, I was like, well, I'm out. (laughs) Like I can die. It's all downhill from here, you guys. I'm done. I quit. Um, His letter to me when, when he was like thinking about writing for it was, Yes. And then the caveat was as long as I can write about hot dogs and jello, which he does, which I feel like is all you know, just hot dogs and jello. That's what we yes. call a tease in the business. Good tease. You know, there's yeah. your sound bite. You have the last essay in the book and uh, you write about your love of Christmas and your grandma's plum pudding. And there's a couple of dishes that you bring up that's a part of your big feast, which is kind of like a Thanksgiving dinner that you guys have for Christmas. And there's two things that you mentioned being controversial. So I want to know which side of the aisle you are on each of these foods. So what is your opinion on sweet potatoes with marshmallows? I mean, here's the thing. I grew up with them. So I'm like, obviously... Why not? I mean, it is literally a dessert that you were adding to the main course. I don't know. I mean, especially as a child, I thought they were epic. Oh, yeah. I was, you have marshmallows on top of a sweet potato. I'm a big sweet potato lover. So I was just like, this is a hat on a hat. This is the best hat on top of the best hat. Um, (laughs) And like dessert for dinner. You got to have marshmallows for for dinner. He didn't grow up with them. And so it's less like an aversion and more sort of a confusion. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't understand. It's sort of like like if you put chocolate on the turkey. He's like, I don't uh-huh. get it. Yeah, but that's just um, a mole, tell him. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> so, what's a caramel sauce like on a steak? Well, they use caramel in 
Vietnamese cooking for savory things. So yeah. I love that you have a spin for all of this. Yeah. So that's where I fall Mm -hmm. on that, on that spectrum. I think I know what you're going to ask about next. The cranberry sauce. I mean. Canned or homemade? So I'm a little bit Switzerland when it comes to cranberry sauce. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. If I have to choose in a pinch, I'm going to go canned because I don't want to make homemade cranberry sauce. Uh Uh-huh. A mountain that I do not feel like climbing. And if they're both there, I'll honestly probably put both on my plate because I love a sauce. Like I said before, like I eat way too much ketchup in my life. Condiments are probably, according to my doctor, too prevalent in my diet. But like <laughs> your doctor, your doctor knows about your condiment use. No, he definitely doesn't. Okay. I just recently <laughs> had my blood work with my yearly blood work done. And I'm sort of like, what's it going to be? I it's don't like, know. We found out I your guess. blood type is ketchup. It's just ketchup <laughs> through your veins. My blood type is ketchup. Ketchup and coffee. That's the name of my next cookbook. But I will, I will eat both. I will eat both. But people feel strongly about that. I do. Okay. I like the can, even though I'm a food snob. It is. I think it's what you grow up with, but... It's yeah. also the texture. Like I like the slipperiness of yeah. the can. Yeah. Like the rigid. It's and very the grooves. Yes. The grooves. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's kind it's of great. sexy. It's like a curvy cranberry oh, lady. Yeah. And it jiggles. Jiggles yes. a little. Yeah, she does. Jiggle jiggle. Jiggle jiggle. How do you take your cranberry sauce? What are your feelings on sweet potato marshmallow casserole? Well, I did a little poll on my Instagram stories. 62% of you say you are anti-marshmallow casserole. I support that. And 56% of you prefer homemade cranberry sauce? Haven't you ever let a slippery disc of canned cranberry sauce just slide down your throat? There's nothing better. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, whose idea was it to broil marshmallows on top of sweet potatoes? We will introduce you to that monster. And Ocean Spray joins the show to share the history of canned cranberry sauce. two dishes that often find their way onto Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner tables that are quite divisive. The first is sweet potato marshmallow casserole. If you are unfamiliar with this dish, let me explain. It's baked mashed sweet potatoes mixed with cinnamon, brown sugar, and butter, or depending on your age and region, margarine. Then the whole thing's topped with marshmallows and baked again until the marshmallows are bronzed and melted. But don't get it twisted. This sweet on sweet on sweet situation is not a dessert. This dish is served right along with the turkey and mashed potatoes. And in order to learn more about it, I brought in an expert. So my name is Rick Rogers. I'm the author of Thanksgiving 101. I'm also the author of The Big Book of Sides. Um, I have been teaching cooking classes for over 30 years. So I have probably made Thanksgiving dinner about 300 times. Where did this dish come from? Actually, sweet potato casserole is a very, very old dish. There's a version of it in the first American cookbook. So it has been around in print since the 1790s. But originally, it was like mashed sweet potatoes with some eggs, and it was more like pudding. Marshmallows is a very, very old candy. Been around since Egyptian times, 2000 BC. 
There really is a plant called the mallow. Gorgeous. It looks like one of those big hibiscus plants, those big flowers. But the sap of the mallow is very sticky. So if someone realized that you could take the sticky sap and mix it with honey or sugar and turn it into candy. So that is how the marshmallow came into being. Then somebody in the late 1800s in America, this is also the same two brothers that learned how to make Cracker Jack. Mm. They commercialize marshmallows. And in 1917, there was a company called the Angelus Marshmallow Company. And what they did is they put marshmallows on top of the classic sweet potato casserole for the first time. Back in the day, companies would hire recipe developers to come up with dishes that would help sell more of their products. They'd put these recipes on brochures, print them in women's magazines, or write on the package itself. And this is exactly what the Angelus Marshmallow Company did. So they went to the Boston Cookery School, which is where Fanny Farmer worked. We all know the word fan, name Fanny Farmer. But you probably do not know the name Janet McKenzie Hill. And Janet McKenzie Hill also worked for the Boston Cookery School. And so a lot of the recipes, the popularization that we get for marshmallows comes from that particular brochure. This is where the idea for Rocky Road ice cream came from. I love Rocky Road. Or maybe you've had like a Southern fruit salad. Ambrosia. Marshmallows and yeah, yeah, ambrosia. So we have Janet McKenzie Hill to thank for really popularizing the marshmallows. Rick says so many of our favorite holiday dishes were created by companies to sell more products. Green bean casserole has a similar story. Wasn't that made by someone at a brand? Yeah. So that was invented by Campbell Soup in about 1955 by a home economist whose name is Dorcas Riley. She was looking for a way to use cream of mushroom soup. Moving on to controversial holiday dish number two, cranberry sauce. Some like it homemade and actually resembling cranberries. And some of us like to slide the slippery cylinder out of the can and plop it on a plate. For more insight, I called up the only people you'd want to call up to talk cranberries, Ocean Spray. More specifically, Dan Hamilton, head of marketing at Ocean Spray. Cranberries are one of the few indigenous American fruits. Prior to that first ever Thanksgiving in 1621, Native Americans have been using cranberries for centuries. Cut to hundreds of years later when Ocean Spray sold its first can of jellied cranberry sauce in 1941. It was started by these three maverick farmers who were really bonded by this bitter cranberry love, Elizabeth Lee, Marcus Uran, and John Makepeace. And they kind of joined forces to form this agricultural cranberry cooperative. And today the Ocean Spray Cooperative is owned by more than 700 cranberry farmers in the U.S., in Canada, and in Chile. Canning the cranberry sauce allowed a fruit with a short fall season to be enjoyed year-round. You know, in the process of harvesting cranberries, they can get a little beat up at times. We had all these cranberries that still retained all the awesome benefits that are in the cranberry. They just weren't pretty enough to sell in the produce aisle. So it really started with, yes, trying to find something to do with all of these extra berries. A can was the perfect home for bruised berries. And there's exactly 17 ridges in that can. Want to know another fun fact? The number of cranberries used in each can of jellied cranberry sauce is 200. One more fact for the cheap seats in the back. So Americans consume over 80 million pounds of cranberries 
on Thanksgiving week alone. So Ocean Spray sells canned cranberry sauce, but like you said, you also sell the bags of fresh cranberries. So you are allowed to have an opinion here because you sell both of them. (laughs) What do you prefer when you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table and there's a bowl of the homemade cranberry sauce and then there's the can of the cranberry sauce, both Ocean Spray products, which one do you reach for first? You know, Rachel, I think it all comes down to how you were raised. I absolutely prefer the canned cranberry sauce. I grew up not chewing my cranberry sauce out of the can. It melts in your mouth. There's just something iconic and so nostalgic, right, about that shape and that feel of the sauce. I am 100% a canned sauce guy. Me too. I'm a canned sauce guy too. (laughs) All right, it's break time, but sometimes we leave the best for last. Number one, Zasha tells me about the time Axl Rose tried to beat her up. Number two, we talk about why we cannot stop snacking on airplanes. And number three, of course, Zasha shares her last meal. I want to talk about food and eating on an airplane for you. So my best friend, Emma, and I are convinced that the studies are being kept at bay for whatever reason, but that airplane hunger is a very real thing. I don't know what the science is behind it, but something about maybe the recycled air, but literally the second my butt touches that seat, I am ravenous, no matter how much I have eaten prior to getting on that airplane. And so I pack like endless amounts of snacks to bring on my, if my flight is 90 minutes, if it's 14 hours, I'm probably bringing the same amount of snacks. It's like an extra carry on just for snacks. (laughs) I literally have gotten in fights with TSA agents when they have like tried to take my snacks away. Like they once, this guy claimed about a whole jar of peanut butter on an airplane Sorry, people with a peanut allergy, because I was like, just one peanut butter and jelly isn't enough. Like, what if I get hungry again? And he claimed it was a liquid. And I was like, I will throw down with you right now. You will not take away my peanut butter. (laughs) Was this at the gate, like when you were just trying to go through or when you were already on the plane? Yeah, I was through security. And he was like, ma'am, this is a liquid. And I was like, no, it's not. Did you win? Honestly, I don't remember because it was such an emotionally charged (laughs) Do you remember a couple years ago, Chrissy Teigen posted that she was trying to bring gravy through because she was coming home from some holiday and she had all her leftovers and they did the same thing. They said, you can't bring it through. It's a it's a liquid. So she cheated the system. She found a loophole. She went back and she pulled out her mashed potatoes and she mixed it in and then they let her bring it through. It's like it's all it doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make, you know, doesn't make any sense. But sometimes it's like rules are rules. They want to flex, so they're like, I'm going to take your peanut butter. Besides a whole jar of peanut butter, what are your top airplane snacks? I normally bring a chip, a pretzel. I've been known to bring popcorn on an airplane. I'm normally always rolling with like at least one, maybe two PB&Js. 
Um, sometimes <laughs> if I'm feeling really crazy, I'll plan ahead and I'll bring like a turkey Sammy. I'm flying to Massachusetts. This is a long flight. <laughs> I'm going to pack a turkey sandwich. What else? I got like a kind bar in case of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> a piece of fruit. I've also been known to try and get a yogurt on an airplane. Where- Debatably liquid again. Debatably liquid. I have also had that fight with a TSA agent and I was like, can you drink it? No, it's not liquid. Whatever is like a one-hander. I'd bring a burger on an airplane. In my Instagram stories, I asked you what your go-to plane snacks are. And the most popular snacks are Gardettos, Cheez-Its, beef jerky, nuts, and specifically peanut M&Ms. Sasha wants to see scientific evidence to support her airplane hunger. And who am I to deny her that? Katie Sale wrote an article for En Route, Air Canada's in-flight magazine, and she interviewed many scientists on this very subject. Because it's hard to do a controlled study in the travel scenario, there hasn't really been a ton of research that's taken place on a plane. But because dieting and weight loss is a $71 billion industry, there's an abundance of research about why we eat, when we eat, what triggers our appetite. So that's part of the reason I spoke to so many people. The one factor that every single expert brought up is boredom. You cannot forget the fact that when you're sitting on a plane for an extended period of time, you get bored. And if there's food in front of you, then inevitably you're going to eat it. Stress is another big factor. Both negative stress and positive stress, like if you're really, really excited to go on your trip. So for a lot of people, stress triggers the release of cortisol, which leads you to crave carbs, um, salty, fatty foods. For people who respond to stress that way, that's definitely a reason why you're getting hungry on a plane. Another factor is lack of sleep. Maybe you couldn't sleep the night before your flight, you were really excited, or maybe you're really tired because you're taking a red eye. Lack of sleep actually drives your appetite as well. There's also a scarcity factor. You can't exactly order a pizza when you're flying the friendly skies, so you only have access to the food on board. And worrying about not having enough to eat makes you want to eat more, because your brain's like, when will our next meal be? This might also be why one might pack a carry-on full of snacks. Katie says another theory is a scientific concept that I am going to call, I'm going to be so bad. When people go on vacation, they tend to throw their rules out the window. So you might eat more and more unhealthy foods when you're on a plane headed for a vacation. If you go to one of those little shops where they sell all the magazines and all of the snacks, what are you going to buy? Well, when you're buying food to bring onto a plane, it's a bit different, at least for me, because I'm mindful of the fact that it might be hard to clean my fingers if I'm eating a bag of cheesies or, you know, it might be a little bit annoying if I'm eating something too crunchy. So I tend to go, I think, for snacks that are... (laughs) This is a really boring response, but snacks that won't get too messy. You're uh, falling into the stereotype that Americans think of Canadians as just being so nice and polite. And like Americans are, we're so disgusting. (laughs) Like nobody cares. They just bring anything on the plane and you're like being considerate to your neighbors. (laughs) So Canadian. (laughs) You know, you don't want to disrupt your seatmate. You are going to be stuck with them on a flight for an ostensible amount of time. I have brought many 
a poke bowl on an airplane, homemade poke for that matter. I am also someone who microwaves fish at work sometimes, so clearly I will never get Canadian citizenship. And I'm pretty sure that after this episode airs, my passport will be flagged when I try and enter Canada. Katie definitely doesn't want to sit next to me. Before we get into Zasha's last meal, I just saw the tiniest little mention of this online. You almost got in a fight with Axl Rose, like a physical fight. <laughs> yes, correct. Well, tell me more. Well, that story has yet to officially be written for okay. an essay for the next book. So I won't say too much because then no one will read the book. No. Because I'll I'll have given it away. But um, I was very young. I was very crazy. I was in a club in New York. He and his uh, lady, lady friend for the evening, lady acquaintance, were very drunk. She claimed I stole her coat, which was actually my coat, and it was winter. And um, yeah, he tried to, it was literally like, you want to go? And he (laughs) was so chivalrous. Trying to, um, yeah, he was defending his lady's honor. And and my and her coat, which apparently I stole. What kind of coat was it? Um, it's just like a plain black coat, like a whatever coat. Because I don't know you personally, but I just love that you would be wearing the same coat as Axl Rose's girlfriend. You know, like I wouldn't <laughs> put it <laughs> yeah, together. No, she had like these. She had nails that were like like these were her nails. She was like, it was like full on. <laughs> Okay, so Sasha is squeezing markers between her fingers to make it look like she has super long nails. She was like, baby, she stole my, this bitch stole my coat. And they were like, it's <laughs> like, like, no, I didn't. What? I was also 17. I mean, I was a child. Literally a um, child. I literally had, I was literally a child. I had no business being there. But um, yeah, stay tuned for, for the full length version. True story. It, that happened. It sounds like you would have been better off getting in a fight with him because she would have scratched you up. Oh, I stood no chance with her. He, his hair was in cornrows at the time. So I feel like I could have, like, I don't know. There was like a good, I could have gotten some purchase. Yeah, you could have pulled. Could Something. I don't know. I'm small, but I'm scrappy. <laughs> and you have full use of your fingers. Full use. Full use. Full use. <laughs> and now... In the final hour, I finally asked the question we all came here to hear. What would your last meal be? Oh, my God. It's such a tough one. At heart, I'm a pretty simple girl. And ever since I was little, I've loved like a really solid bolognese Mm. or a spaghetti and meatball. I feel like that with like a fresh baguette smothered in butter and then probably like the most delicious chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream. That is so cozy. So I'm a very cozy eater. Mm-hmm. I love a cozy meal. For her last meal, Zasha Mamet wants pasta bolognese with a fresh baguette smothered in butter and a chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream. Who makes the best bolognese or spaghetti and meatballs? Is this something that you would have homemade? Probably. I'm going to go eat there soon. I'm very excited. There's a restaurant in Nolita in New York called Ruby Rosa that I love dearly. In the winter, they have that thing that New York restaurants have where they put up those like really heavy curtains and they're like thick 
red velvet ones Ooh, and you yeah. have to walk through them to get oh, into the I restaurant. Love that. And they have amazing, amazing gluten-free pasta. They make just like a really epic bolognese. It's like very simple. It's not crazy spicy or super salty or it's just like kind of perfect. Mm, so, so good. And tell me more about this cake. You know, I'm a huge chocolate person and I love baked goods. I love to bake. The ones out of the box are sometimes the best, just like the most simple chocolate cake with a really simple chocolate icing, definitely two layers. So like icing in the middle too, probably rainbow sprinkles on top for fun. Ooh, love a sprinkle. Love a sprinkle. Yeah. It's like grading a rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Wow. That really. was beautiful. I just made that up. Can't, I, just, I can't believe myself sometimes. Wow. Gorgeous. <laughs> uh, is this something that you would eat growing up or is this like an adult food for you? No, my mom was crazy about sugar growing up and we didn't really have it. And I didn't develop a sweet tooth for a very long time. My sister did. My sister was the one like my mom would get calls from her friend's parents being like, we just found your daughter like comatose in our pantry surrounded by Lucky Charms. Oh, <laughs> like, please oh. come get her. I'm worried for her safety. I think I just didn't know that I loved sweets, but um, I discovered that I'm a huge chocolate fiend and I love cakes. I love muffins. I love, I'm making a banana bread right now. Love a banana bread. I don't know. There's like nothing really better than chocolate cake. Okay, I have a little speed round and then I'll let you go. Like if you're on set and there's craft services, like what is the best thing either that there has been that you're like, I can't believe they actually have this. It's so fancy. Or like the thing that you wish that there was. So fancy. Um, so one year of girls, we were shooting next to um, the Michael J. Fox show. And it was our first week on set. It was my first day on set that season. And I went out to Crafty and our stages were next to each other. So like it was sort of easy to mistake someone's Crafty for the other. And I walked up to Crafty and I looked and there was an entire wall of cereal. And it was like those ones where it's like up on a wall and then you turn the knob and the cereal pours out. And it was, oh. I'm not kidding. There were like 25 different things of cereal. And I was like, oh my, we have a we have a cereal wall. And I literally took a, a bowl and I was like going around and like getting a little bit of cereal from each one. <laughs> this PA came up to me and he was like, um, ma'am, I don't think that's your crafty. And it was fully not our crafty. Um, and then the whole season I had to just like stare at their cereal wall and they Ugh. wouldn't hear. They wouldn't. So, so you were so close that you could see you were in the same room as theirs, but you couldn't go over there and have any, not even one little bowl. Couldn't partake of the cereal wall, but I could look at it. But um, I think that was the fanciest. I mean, I've been on sets where they're like sashimi and stuff, and it's very nice. But yeah. like, I mean, what's better than a cereal wall? If you were to eat food that was on a plane, like the snacks that they pass out, what is the one that you choose? I mean, normally a peanut, but they don't serve peanuts anymore. I know. Um, but JetBlue often has those um, kettle corn pop chips. Those are good. I love those. I feel like those used to be any pop chip was like just something you got in a swag bag at an event. And I was always like, <laughs> nobody wants these. They're made of styrofoam. But I think I've like grown accustomed to styrofoam because I like it now. Yeah. No, it's definitely styrofoam, but it's like yummy styrofoam. Mm -hmm. It's the best styrofoam you could get. The best. The best edible styrofoam there is. 
And that was Zasha Mamet's Last Meal. Thank you so much. This was really fun, and I'm a huge fan of yours. I rewatch Girls. It's my comfort food show. Um, so I see you all the time. <laughs> well, thank you. This was super fun, and thanks for reading the book, and I'm happy you liked it. Congratulations on your book and your next book, too. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, stay tuned for more Axel Rose stories. Zasha's new book, My First Popsicle, is out today. Find a link in the show notes or pick up a copy at your favorite neighborhood bookstore. Thanks to Rick Rogers. He teaches online cooking and baking classes at coffeeandcake.org. Thanks to Dan Hamilton from Ocean Spray Cranberries and Katie Sale, award-winning writer and polite Canadian airplane snacker. I know us podcast people always ask for this, but it actually means something. Please, please rate and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Extra points if you write up a quick review. Make sure you're following along on Instagram. Hello, Rachel Bell. This is the only way to take my snack surveys. This episode of Your Last Meal was produced and edited by me. Original theme music by Prom Queen. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. We all just really want the same things, I think. You know, we want to be loved and we want to eat. We want to be loved and we want to eat baked potatoes. Mm, Yes, we do. Hi, Rachel. Who's creeping up behind you? I saw a tiny head on your shoulder. (laughs) Oh, this one? Uh huh. That, that must be my husband coming around. Are we doing video? Um, we're not going to record it, but we can keep it on just so that we can see each other's beautiful faces. Okay, that's all good. <laughs> and connects like normal yeah. humans. Yes.